as a kid, I wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to have powers, and I wanted that because I wanted people to admire me for something, I guess. I wanted to be celebrated. When you have full-blown self-expression and there's no barriers holding you back, it's truly powerful. This is Gender Euphoria, a limited podcast series from Broccoli Content. My name is Hannah Walker-Brown, and over the next seven episodes, I'm going to be interviewing people I really admire about when they feel most like themselves, what brings them joy and pleasure, and their individual journeys to self-acceptance. When we only talk about pain, misery, trans people are turned into statistics, and it, it takes the human nature of us away. Being yourself is radical. It's an act of defiance in itself, just allowing yourself to live authentically. In this episode, I'm talking to Jacob. So, hello, I'm Jacob Edward. I use they, them pronouns, and I am a radio presenter from the Midlands. Currently covering somebody on Gadio, but normally you can find me in the wee hours of the morning, 4am till 7, early breakfast on the Gadio network. So that goes across the country and it's the world's biggest LGBTQ plus radio station, I think. And yeah, I, I present a show on there, uh, talk in between songs, make people laugh, make people smile and then carry on with my day. I mean, you sound like the perfect person to be on the radio first thing in the morning, bringing other people joy. I would really like to know what brings you joy. Oh, where to start? I mean, radio for one is definitely something that makes me endlessly happy. I love nothing more than presenting radio shows, listening to music. Like, that is my cup of tea, in short. Um, I like it because I am autistic and I'm an introvert as well so social anxiety and everything radio and gaming although I don't tend to speak to people whilst I'm gaming they're sort of forms of communicating that I can control like if I'm panicking on the radio I can just do for example turn the mic off and um, nobody can hear me and I'll just play some songs or something like it's having that control like I never feel like I have that in person to person uh conversation which is why COVID has been quite a relief but um that didn't have that didn't come from me who said that I think you're allowed to say that I think at this stage you know anything goes um and when did you first get into radio how did you find radio it actually started via video games so in school I didn't have very I didn't really have any friends at school I had um a few friends online so after school I'd come home and speak to them online a bit like we're doing now over a piece of software on the internet and we'd play video games we'd talk about different YouTubers that played video games and then one day we decided to make our own little YouTube channel uh where we recorded ourselves playing video games and that was a lot of fun <laughs> we had some great series some great dramas on there that 
went down and it was just a bit of fun. Uh, luckily, none of that still exists on the internet because, um, but yeah, it's it was very fun. And I ha- we all brought like a cheap little USB microphone for our laptops and it was it's adorable looking back at it. And that's sort of what got me into liking this form of communication. And the thing that sort of pushed me to sort of explore radio more was when YouTube kept taking down videos that I put my favorite songs in for copyright reasons. I was like, there must be a way of doing this. And then I discovered radio. I love that. It's like, well, here's how you don't get sued while still doing what you want with other people's music. (laughs) And I was going to ask you when you feel most like yourself, but I imagine it's probably on the radio or in front of a microphone. Yeah, I don't know what it is about microphones. I've tried to work it out. But I am just so much more confident, so much more comfortable being myself in front of microphones um, to the point where I will take fake microphones up on stages if I have to do talks or something. Uh, I did a few talks with Stonewall before the pandemic and the first one was so disastrous because I was like, where is my microphone? Why are people staring at me? I cannot cope. That's such a good idea. Yeah, just fake little microphones. It's like it's just you on air. It's the illusion of being on the radio. Just it's like that. Ah, oh, that really terrible piece of advice. Imagine everybody naked. No, thank you. But uh, take a mic up. Yes, I can deal with that. And what was your talk with Stonewall about? Um, they brought me on to talk at some of their youth events as a role model for disability and LGBTQ plus people, just experiencing the world differently as it is and then experiencing it as a queer person, it comes with even more unique challenges. Uh, So that's why I was speaking mainly with Stonewall. Um, I've never known whether to class myself as an activist. I I try to educate people and, and sort of like be the representation I needed but I've never known whether to call myself an activist or not it's one of those eternal questions that I've pondered many late nights over activist as a term is quite loaded has become more loaded Mm. I guess due in part to the rise of social media and the sharing of content and the fact that we can access more kind of outward displays of activism and I think there are rules about what it is or or whether you can call yourself that and actually I think anyone who is making positive change or making a difference even if it's on a kind of micro scale even if it's just kind of for one person you are an activist you are acting you know it's an action for change and I love what you just said about being the representation that you needed absolutely yeah um Yeah, because in my mind, activism is like going out into the streets and shouting at Boris Johnson from the 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 outside of Number Ten, and like I just I just can't do that. My my I just implode. Uh, Too many people, too much noise. So I sort of I do things like online more, and I've never known whether to class myself as an activist, but I try to live my truest self. And I think that's a form of activism, like living your truest self, like being confident in your truest authentic self and refusing to to change or shift to fit someone else's expectation. And I think that's where real change happens because other people see that 
and they see that power and they see that it's possible to live authentically. You know, I, I think you are right, actually. That is so true because that was one of the defining moments for me coming out was meeting other non-binary people and seeing them thriving as themselves and then asking some really hard questions against the internalized transphobia of finding it a little bit weird and then eventually going well they can do it why don't I try and then stepping stones until ah here I am it's it's an act of defiance in itself just allowing yourself to live authentically and that's that's what I do now. And it's been the most freeing and awesome time. So talk to me a little bit about that journey. How did you get to the point where you're having those hard conversations? You're standing in this room full of people. What were the steps that you had to take to get there? I think it was wanting to make a difference. I've always wanted to work with charities. I've always wanted to make a difference. Um, for people like me, I was diagnosed with autism quite young and didn't enjoy school. So I wanted to sort of escape as fast as I could. And I went through a phase of saying yes to everything, which I would advise against nowadays. I'd say yes to a lot of things, but don't say yes to everything um, because you just burn out. Um but uh, I said yes to a load of things, and one of those was I'm going to keep bringing them up. Stonewall Young Campaigners um, program. That's what I signed up for, and I went as a cis gay guy and came out as a questioning non-binary person. I've oversimplified it. There, it wasn't quite as quick as that. It sort of it opened my eyes more because I'd heard of trans people. I'd not really heard much about non-binary people. And so meeting people instead of just learning about people sort of changed my mind. And I went away and thought about it. I'm a chronic overthinker. So many nights were spent thinking about it. And like, even now, looking back at things I did as a child and things I didn't do as a child, and I'm like, no, that, that, that adds up. That does, that really adds up. I had a revelation the other day from my parents that when I was really little, they sent me to like this football thing, uh, which I hated <laughs> because I don't like sports very much. And apparently I used to run away from the ball in football. And whenever my dad would be like, you know, you can tackle, I would go, but I don't want to hurt the other boys. And that that really stands out to me. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not this this figure of gleaming masculinity that I was sort of trying to, but almost not living up to. For me, it kind of felt right. I was, I guess, socially, my mind was fighting it because I had to deal with an internalized transphobia uh, for quite a while in the coming out process. I sort of had a stepping stone identity which was demi boy uh, and i used he they pronouns online and sort of tried it out but i knew deep down where i wanted to be but i had to use that to sort of get myself there and once i did uh, it's just perfect um and weirdly i don't mind she her pronouns as much as i do he him it's like i don't use she her pronouns and i'd rather not but if I had 
to like when train guards come up to you and are like hello mom i prefer that to hello sir <laughs> so it's always it's it's almost like i just want to escape from the way i was brought up like the the term is assigned male at birth and it really is an assignment really it's like trying to escape that designation i think that's really interesting that idea of internalized transphobia and it not just being kind of what the outside world is projecting onto you or how other people are responding but it's actually how you're responding within yourself and I guess that takes a lot of work it's like you've been brought up having one thing and I think that takes a lot of I I imagine that takes a lot of undoing Mm -hmm. I think that's that's what made it so hard to sort of come out as non-binary was coming out to myself was the hardest bit because I had to work through all the the social conditioning that men go through. I did air commas there. Um, and it, it it's quite hard to undo that. Like, I look at toxic masculinity and examples in the media and people that I've interacted with online occasionally, and I kind of, from a weird way, get it. Because that is really difficult to unlearn all of those things. Like from a really young age, my dad was taking me to watch all of these violent action films and things. I just, I just went along with because I was a man, um, and I didn't really care for them. I am very happy now to just whack on a cartoon or something silly and bright and light. Like I love fun little just light-hearted things i just don't care for violence and action and i don't know call of duty <laughs> things like that i just don't and accepting myself and my gender identity is what sort of unlocked that for me it's just like the most freeing thing i've ever felt i just i just feel like myself like there's no boundaries whereas before my mind would be like, this isn't very manly, you should never talk about this. It's so constricting. And that's why I've always felt so comfortable around cisgender men that have sort of broken down that barrier and they're okay with their identity and um, just liking what they like. So you actually had a big radio break last year this time last year can you tell me a little bit about the radio one gig yeah so when i applied it was advertised on the radio one website i think and it was a call out for people who have radio experience but maybe haven't been on national radio or got a job in radio but doesn't exclude those people either send in a demo if you think you're radio one ready and they'll select a few to uh, present some shows over the the gap between Christmas and New Year, and I very nearly didn't send that. I I did the demo like the night before the application closed. It was really hard. The application was because it was like don't put anything about your identity on there, and I was like, oh great, okay. How am I gonna jump around the fact that I am a queer non-binary person? Let's see how this goes. I somehow managed that. 
and ended up getting um, a callback to record a pilot. And that was when I met some of my idols. I was at Radio 1. It was the best and got offered the shows there and then. Um, it, it was one of those things that I never thought would happen, especially not so fast. I got a phone call at the end of October uh, 2019 and by December I'd recorded a pilot and been offered two shows on the radio station of my dreams it was like okay I've peaked and I've never known joy like opening that mic for the first show that I did over Christmas last year it was something else entirely but I think in terms of everything that I've achieved coming from like where I was as a person like so socially anxious I couldn't leave the house about an adult school was hell I didn't speak in school I was selective mute to only I would only speak to my family none of the teachers anything like that I think the moment that brought me the most sort of euphoria I guess was London Pride 2019 I went along with a group and we marched alongside some of my favorite people and it just felt like I'd achieved the biggest thing that like 12 year old me would never have thought possible like I wore I traveled to London on a train on my own wearing the brightest clothes I could possibly find covered in rainbows and flags feeling so happy in myself surrounded by people that I love and admire like I met the YouTuber Dan Howell uh do um when we were marching alongside mermaids and that at that parade it was just like how can I describe it it's like the end scene of the Avengers everything comes together and and that was the end of the season <laughs> And so sort of going back to some of the things you said earlier, like the talks with Stonewall, being a role model, being the representation that you needed, what is it that kind of propels you forward through all of that? What do you hope you will impart or inspire within other people? I think it's just that sort of, I want to give them permission to embrace what they like and who they are because when I was younger that is what I didn't necessarily have I had it in some aspects don't get me wrong I love my family for that but in other aspects like school I just didn't have that I had to conform and the way that friendship circles formed and everything you kind of had to if you wanted to make friends like i vividly remember in school um buying a playstation and buying grand theft auto for that playstation in order to try and fit in with the boys and <laughs> and years later i've still got that game and i do play it with one of my well i don't play it much anymore but i used to play it with a friend of mine and we didn't play it properly you know the way grand theft auto is like shooty shooty guns and stuff uh me and this friend we just went around in lush cars obeying traffic rules and just having a great time so i think it's giving permission for people to embrace everything that they love and just shout it as loud as they feel they want to and so if we think about this idea of gender euphoria kind of why we're here it's why we're 
having these conversations this week, what do those words sort of evoke in your mind? What do they sort of mean to you? Um, when I saw, when I first saw the term gender euphoria, I did think to myself, that's an interesting concept. And being the overthinker I am, I have put far too much thought into the concept of gender euphoria compared to dysphoria. And it's sort of come to realise that euphoria is really necessary in the society and the world that we live in today. Part of me was wondering if it was, but it definitely is. Because I wonder whether dysphoria is made worse by society as a whole because of all the conformity that people need. If you want to pass as a man or a woman, you have to be quite strict and constrict yourself in what you like, what you wear and things. And I I wonder whether that does affect dysphoria. And that's why euphoria is such an interesting concept to me, because I think euphoria is sort of throwing those out the window and saying, I love everything that I love. And that's OK. And that's 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 just me. Like for me, I love a train. I hid that for quite a few years, but now I'm very much vocal in my love of trains and it's it's that embracing of things. And I do think um, these aren't fixed terms. I wonder if society uh, dramatically turned one way or the other, things would get worse slash maybe better. It's, it's one of those things I think, personally, I think might change because I have wondered about dysphoria and how it would manifest itself if society was just completely genderless but yeah that euphoria is great and whenever wherever you can find it hold on to that and let it spread to the rest of your life